do something that's happening locally and not necessarily something you find a, a classical tourist kind of a thing. So go to a concert, go to an opera, a ballet, some kind of a cultural experience like that. And you're inevitably going to be there just with Italians. So really dive in and do something with Italians. That's the first thing. Welcome, I'm your host, Dino Cattaneo, and you're listening to Authentic Leadership for Everyday People, the podcast where we investigate the connection between authenticity and leadership. If you're looking for inspiration and tips on how to be a better leader by being your true self, you are in the right place. In the last episode, we talked to Jackie Hermes about starting an agency and growing it from zero to seven-figure revenue by herself and some of the tips and thoughts on how to become a better founder. Today, we are celebrating the winter holiday special, and so we're going to veer a little bit off the beaten track. My guest is Wendy Holloway, who runs a podcast, a blogging website, and travel business for foreigners in Italy, focused on food. It's called A Flavor of Italy. And in the first part of the episode, we will have Wendy talk about her journey that led her from being an international banker to actually, as I said, starting um, a couple of businesses in Italy. But then we're going to celebrate the holidays by having Wendy, who has done the opposite journey of me because she's an American living in Italy, um, tell you a little bit about my home country and what she loves about it and some advice and tips for people who may be thinking about traveling either during this holiday break or later on. So enjoy the episode and get to know a little more about me and my country through the eyes of my friend, Wendy. Wendy, I am so glad to have you as a guest today. This is my winter holiday special for my audience. You know, I record my episode with Squadcast and that Squadcast has a fabulous community where podcasters are introduce we share ideas we we help each other and i got a i got a chance to meet wendy through uh squadcast i was a guest on her wonderful podcast a flavor of italy and wendy has done sort of the opposite journey that i have done because i moved to the u.s temporarily in 1990 and ended up spending my whole life here and wendy you went to my home country around the same time that I went. Is that correct? That's absolutely 100% correct. Yeah. Great. So what we're going to do, we're going to talk a little bit about Wendy's life because she's had a great career in business, but she has spent the bulk of the last few years with her Flavor of Italy blog and podcast, and she really narrates Italy to the world. And so what we're going to do after we hear about her story, I'm going to ask Wendy, since we're in the holiday spirit, and hopefully, despite everything, we're going to pick up travel again. For my American listeners, what are the three or four things that they should do when they come to Italy or the things that you love about the country? But let's start. Wendy, why don't you tell our listeners your story? Oh, gosh. Okay. Well, I'm American born from Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And when I was 12, we moved to England. And I lived there with my family for a decade and went to high school there. 
So I'm deeply attached and feel very kind of British in a certain sense, but you know, yet I'm not. And then uh, went back to the States and a little bit of time in France and back and forth and back and forth. I always felt very international at heart. I got my master's in business and there was an opportunity to work with the PNC Financial Corp in international banking. And I thought, well, you know, I've lived overseas. I'm international. Okay, that, that could be a good fit. Not realizing that I'm not a numbers person and a banker person at heart. Although I thoroughly loved traveling with the bank. So many countries in Europe were the countries I was responsible for. I was a vice president for PNC when I ended up leaving them. And Italy was one of my countries. And I met my husband on a business trip through a work colleague. So at that stage, I had this relationship that I wanted to pursue. I was living in New York and I made a proposal to the bank to open an office here in Rome, which they accepted. And then I came here with job. That was one of my best coups, let's say. But shortly after I got here, I started moving away into what my real passion is, which is food. And back when I was in college, there wasn't even the Julia Child food show. So if I had said to my dad, and at that stage I deferred to him, oh, I'm going to be a chef, he'd be like, you're going to what? So you just didn't, you kind of stuck within the track that was predefined by society and by uh, your parents and so forth. But when I got to Italy, I felt a little freer and the focus on food was so big, I started to move into that. And so here I am now. I started, okay, well, I did have this little break at a certain point where I've always had a very entrepreneurial spirit and a much, yeah, I'm much more a person who works for myself than for others. First of all, I like the fact you're like, yo, I wasn't really good with numbers. And yet in this career as a bank, you end up being a vice president and you say, I want to open an office in a foreign country. And they say, yes. Yeah. So you must have been a, at least a little bit good with numbers. And then you say you're entrepreneurial, even, you know, the fact that you went and opened an office. Before we go to the rest of, of the sort what was the experience? Because that's fascinating for me. I did sort of, as I said, the reverse journey for you. I came to New York to work for a little bit and then met my wife. And luckily, my wife was in New York. And, and that led to sort of me making career choices that would allow me to stay here. And then I figured out that I actually wanted to marry her, etc. But I had only one experience, interestingly, working in Italy. And as somebody who had only worked in the US before, it's a different and challenging environment in some ways. And you opened an office in, in Rome? Yes, I did. And after I did that, when we had a child, we have one daughter and, and I actually have two little adorable grandchildren now, but I started in between the food thing and the banking thing, I started a baby products company and designed my own products and had patents and everything. 
But I remember one person from PNC Financial Corp. After she was the one who connected me with my husband Maurizio, and she at a certain point said to me, "Wendy, be careful when you cross the street." I'm like, "Why?" She said, "Because you are too lucky." And I'd had so much luck in my life, and I didn't say to her, but I said to myself, "You know what, Janet? I create my own luck." You know, I make things happen. So, okay, I wanted to be with Maurizio, but he was in Italy. I wanted my job, which was great with travel, and I enjoyed my job. So, okay, find a way to make those two things happen. So, I mean, that's one thing I would say to anyone and everyone: if you want to do something, think it through and find a way that you can make that happen. What was it like as an American to start an office in a bank in Italy? Because it's a completely different culture, and you know, even though right now I would say, you know, the world has globally moved, where especially within the business world, things are probably a lot more similar within industries like banking and and some of these high services industries. But what was it like for you at the time to open an office in Rome as as an American? Good question because well let's say back then and we're talking quite a few decades ago if I had come to Italy and applied for a job with an Italian bank I would have probably started off making change as a teller or something because you have to go through this step to that step to that step and for women eh not even so much So the fact that I came here and opened an office for an American bank I was accepted because in a certain sense we weren't as a bank or myself part of the Italian reality. So that made it all definitely easier. They wouldn't challenge you in the same sense that maybe a work colleague might if i was working in the same bank with let's say some other male counterpart and i overpass them which would never even happen but so i was part of the reality and speaking italian and doing business with companies and banks but not part of the reality so it was a little bit different dino yeah and then you we mentioned you also opened your own business and i want to talk about that for a little bit But one thing that I think may be really valuable for our listeners is I think there are lessons when you move your your business life to a foreign country. For us it's been a long time ago living in a different country, but I think there are some universal lessons. So what do you think made it successful for you to do business in in two or three different settings as an American in Italy and what are some advice that you would give to somebody who is about to go and say I'm going to start working in country X. So I'm like more general rather than specific to a country. Okay, so you're speaking of someone coming over not necessarily let's say as part of an international corporation. Either way because like whether you're part of an international corporation or whether you're starting your own business entering a foreign country to work there are some things that are important to do and that may help And I'm wondering if you have, you know, if you can think like okay, what were some of the things that to you are helpful 
Okay. So if you're coming and starting a business on your own, Italy, I think some people have thought, oh, it's so bureaucratical. I don't know. I don't know if I can deal with this. Things are so much easier in the United States. There's a small business administration and entities that kind of help you out. Well, okay, not thinking strictly about banking now, but my baby products company, I took another view, which was, all right, there's all this bureaucracy not lots of people are doing it. So that makes it a very fertile place to do it. So, you know, take the time to find out how to set up your own patent or whatever, and you'll probably have better success just because you're willing to go up against the bureaucracy. So it's like basically almost take the things that may look like barrier because they're doing differently and say, that actually my advantage is that I'm willing to take them over. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because a lot of people get up to a barrier and they say, okay, I'm going to turn left or right and do something else. But if you're willing to work your way through the barrier, you're in a small group of people that are doing it. So you have a better chance of succeeding in many ways. Yeah. And, and it sounds like it's interesting the way you were talking about it. It also sounds, I don't want to put words into your mouth, but it sounds like you made a very conscious decision, like sort of at the beginning to say, I know I could sit here and think about all these things that, you know, America is better than Italy and, and, and just pout about it. And instead you're like, you know, I'm just going to drop that part and accept and embrace the fact that I'm in a different environment. Would that be a correct restatement? Yeah, that's, th that's true. And here's another thing, Dino, and I'm thinking more about my baby products company. Don't jump into a foreign country without doing total and complete research. So, all right, in the States, there was this thing with baby bottles, and I don't even know if they, I don't think they even do them anymore. I mean, everything has evolved so much in, in that arena. But Gerber had these, and other companies as well, these baby bottles where it was like a plastic cylinder with frame with no top and no bottom. And you would put these plastic bags looped around it with uh, the baby bottle, nipple, whatever, and then the, the milk in there. So as the baby drinks, this little sack collapses and the baby doesn't get air and in their tummy and have gas. So gosh, that's a great idea. Oh, wow. Yeah. But it just was a big flop in Italy. So years ago, and one of the other products that, that I did was plastic baby bottles with like designs on them that I had made in Thailand. But the market was that you bought everything basically from a pharmacy. And the idea of having a baby drink from a plastic bottle. No, it should be glass. I mean, there were certain kind of preconceptions and old style views on how things should be done. So you can't say, oh, wow, this is a great new thing. It's successful in America. So I'll do it here. Because a lot of times cultures don't want that new thing that you have to propose. That's key. Yeah. 
back to your story. So you started your your baby product business. Yeah, I started that and I had a former secretary from my bank office. She designed the bottles, the actual drawing. I had them made in Thailand. I brought them in and they were successful. And I had a few other patents and just things that I liked, uh, bibs and so forth, I imported from the States. But then basically, I ended up being kind of a bank myself because I had to pay for my products at 30 days, but my who was buying for me was paying at 60. So I had that a couple months delay. It just didn't work money-wise. And I realized you learn along the way and you have to put the little lessons in your pocket. I realized I don't want to have a business where I have inventory and warehousing. I mean, I remember just to tell you one little funny anecdote, I moved my warehouse from one location to another. And to do it, what did we do? We rented a truck, my husband drove it, and a couple of other people helped with it. And they ended up working till like 10 at night. And when they took the truck back, uh, the people at the rental place said to my husband, oh God, those Americans really work you hard. And he's like, if, <laughs> if you only knew, anyhow. So, but also along the way, I was still, thinking all the time about food. You know, I did the baby products thing because I had a baby, but it's not like I had a passion for baby products in the absolute sense. Like I didn't have a passion for bank products in the absolute generic sense. And one of my dearest friends here in Italy, we got together at a certain point and said to ourselves, we have to make whatever our passion is, our personal passion, be our source of income. We have to make it our work so that we're crazy about what we're doing. So mine, hers was deep sea diving and these high-tech diving equipment things, and mine was food. And I'm still on that page, totally and completely in love with that as a job choice. How long ago was that? That was, oh gosh, 20 plus years. And it's evolved and grown into something bigger. Yeah. It's interesting. I was, my guest a few episodes ago, Dory Clark, talks about the fact that, you know, when we choose our goals, first we're taught to think about how much money we're going to make. And that may not necessarily be a great goal. But second, that now there's this pressure on people to find your passion, find your passion. And it may not be intuitive at, this, at, at the beginning, right? It may be, it may take a while of it. And it, it sounds like you went through some experimentation because you're like, no, what I want to settle in is food. But then once you've identified what your passion is, I think for many people, the, then the difficult next step is like, okay, I have this passion. How do I turn it into my lifelong occupation? So what was that process like for you? Okay. So to repeat, I've always had more of an entrepreneurial spirit and I like to work for myself. And 
I often will chat with one of my sisters about that. And she says, oh my God, I would never want that responsibility and worrying, you know, that it's my company. I'd rather work for someone. Friday afternoon, I go home and it's their problem. So it's not for everyone. So you might feel that your passion is, I don't know, deep sea diving, but you don't want to have your own company. So you might end up find, okay, I like to do diving tours. So you would find a job for a company that does the tours and you actually do the hands-on tours. Or you might design products for a company. Or you might be like I am and want to do stuff oh, on your own. And then there are people who don't really have a passion that's driving them. Some people are, their passion is not something that they would want to turn into a career. So I, I don't think anyone should feel badly if they don't have a passion. I, my husband, he's an aerospace engineer. I think he, if he could have spoken when he, the day he was born, he would have said, I want to be an aerospace engineer. I mean, <laughs> it's been his passion forever. But you know, I've done a million things. And now I'm at this stage of my life. And I think I'm going to always do this. But you really do never know. And here's one thing I will say as a woman, and I'm not 25 or even a 35-year-old woman, the mindset that you can't do something because you are a certain age is complete and total baloney. Women really have to get that kind of thinking out of their head. I, I can't tell you how many times I hear women say that, oh, no, I, I couldn't do that. I, I'm too old. No. If you find you have a passion and you're 70, you can pursue it. I mean, these days with internet and so forth, there's no reason anyone on the planet can't do exactly what they want. Absolutely. I completely agree with you. So when you decided that your passion was food, how that started turning into what then evolved into what is Flavor of Italy today? Well, I started while I was doing my other business ventures. I love going to artisans and seeing how things are made. I just love that. I mean, I, I first had a garden when I was eight years old and started cooking at that age, just because I loved it, not because of anyone in my family. So I've always loved that kind of stuff. And I, I really landed in just the right country for that. But I started off taking people to see how olive olives are pressed for olive oil. I love that. Every time I go, every year, and I've been doing it for decades and decades, it just knocks my socks off. It's so cool. So I started taking people, you know, buses of people to see that experience. I cook well, and people started saying, oh, you should add food to the mix. And so I first started off saying, okay, we do the olive oil tour, people buy their olive oil, and then we would go to a restaurant. And then I started cooking 
myself. And then I started a bed and breakfast so that I could have clients stay here on our property and do cooking programs. So it was very step by step. And I've always wanted to podcast. It took me I, over three years from when I had my equipment to get the guts to actually throw my voice out on the air. And even though I heard over and over that the surefire way to fail in podcasting is to not start. And that applies to any business. The surefire way to fail as an author is to not start writing a book. So you just have to jump in the water and do it. That is fabulous. And, and I would say inspiring. I have a, you know, I use, my wife had this great saying from her grandfather that says, begin and let your mind grow heated, begin and the job will be completed. And I think, you know, you got to start. Exactly. <laughs> I, you need to take that first step. So now we are getting to, I think, the really fun part of this episode, moving from the sort of inspiring part. You have spent the last 20 years learning about my wonderful country. As you rightly say, you know, if you love, see how things are made. Italy is the country for that. You know, when I go back, all my friends, they have, oh, I got this cheese that I picked up in this little farm in Tuscany. And then I have this wine that I picked up from this little vineyard in Piedmont, et cetera. So if somebody was planning to come to Italy and, uh, you know, you've had a chance to document, and I think on your blog, a is it flavorofitaly.com? That's correct, the blog? That's right. Flavor spelled the American way. F-A-L-V-O-R. Yeah, F-L-A-V-O-R. Yeah, no, no you, yes. Yes. I don't even think about a British record. I've been living here for so long. <laughs> yeah, well, of course. Yeah, yeah, of course. And people can find a lot of wonderful ideas in there. But what are the three or four really special things? If it's like, okay, I have a week and I want to come to Italy and experience Wendy's favorite food experiences, what would you recommend? I have this holiday gift guide, by the way, on my website. And I do mention some things in my gift guide and my newsletter. And one of the recent things was, and first I would say, do something that's happening locally and not necessarily something you find, a, a classical tourist kind of a thing. So there was the Rome Chamber Music Festival. And it was actually started by an American uh, violinist. And I have an interview with him on my podcast. So go to a concert, go to an opera, a ballet, some kind of a cultural experience like that. And you're inevitably going to be there just with Italians. So really dive in and do something with Italians. That's the first thing. Get out of city center. And if you, can manage to get the courage to drive and it's pretty darned easy. Go do something in one of the towns around Rome or around Milan. That's always a fantastic thing to do. 
I don't know how many people are familiar with Italian wines and wine varietals, but Italy has hundreds more native varietals, grape varietals than any other country in the world. And then number two is Greece. And I think we have several hundred more than Greece. So do something related to wine because that will usually mean you're going to get out to a, a vineyard or do a wine tasting. And one of the things that I have in my gift guide is this Italian wine club that I am a member of myself and have learned so much, so much. It's the Rocholi uh, Wine Club. Go to a place like that where they have these fantastic wine tastings because you're going to get to taste some of the absolute best Italian foods and wines, hear about producers. You might even have a chance to like meet a producer. And that could be a springboard to go out and even visit a producer in another region or whatever. So um, I always think a cooking class is a great thing to do. I offer them, but many people do. And preferably one that isn't you know, a big touristy kind of thing. Try to do something with locals. I think food is a wonderful gateway to experiencing any country and especially Italy. Given your expertise of Italy, I know that I know there's like, you know, from talking to my friends here, there's two or three places that people always think first, like, you know, Cinque Terre, Tuscany for food, et cetera. So what are some of the maybe more off the beaten track places? You know, one place that may not be intuitive first thing, oh, I have to go to Italy, I have to go X, something that you would say, oh, you know, go instead than going to Tuscany, go to... Every time people say they're going to go to Tuscany, I just kind of roll my eyes and say, oh gosh, same old, same old. Not to take away from Tuscany. They've done a fabulous job marketing themselves and it's an incredible place, no doubt. But, uh, and again, I have done lots of interviews with people from different regions in Italy. So you could check out some of my podcasts, but try to visit a region that's not normally chatted about on the uh, mainstream basis, like Molise, which is on the Adriatic coast, heading south, and it's attached to Abruzzo and on, on the other side to Puglia. Visit a place like that. And then if it's summertime, I think it's great to visit some of the Italian islands. I'm a real water-focused uh, person, but Italy has dozens of islands. We think of Sardinia, we think of Sicily, fantastic places. But for example, off of Molise, there's a tiny little island. Lazio, where Rome is located, has its own little set of islands. So those are great opportunities as well to experience something absolutely different. That is great advice. And I, I love the fact that you mentioned Abruzzo and Molise because they're not very well known. And Abruzzo has beautiful mountains because it's right in the middle of like, you know, geographically, if you think about Italy, it's almost like it has a backbone. The Apennine is this chain of mountains that sort of cuts the, the body of the boot, of the Italian boot in two parts. And Abruzzo is like right in the center of Italy. They have 
beautiful mountain natural parks that you wouldn't think about that part of Italy. And and as you said, Molise has beautiful beaches. So great. Yeah. I really emphasize getting out and getting in a car. So let's say you're going to go to Puglia or wherever, and you're based here in Rome. Drive down there. And if you see something on the side of the highway, get off the highway and go visit it. You find so many amazing places just by going off on your own. I mean, don't tick everybody else's box for travel to Italy. Find your own. That's a great piece of advice for that. It's one of, I think one of the qualities of Italy is that everything is really compact. So even if you're driving like 30 kilometers, in those 30 kilometers, your eye will be caught by something on the side. Okay, I'm going to tell you two Rome things, and I'm writing about them in my newsletter. I guess everybody knows what a flagship store is, but it's a major brand's showcase store. It could be the biggest or have unique products or some architectural feature or whatever. Okay, there are two in Rome that I'm writing about now that. I just, they're amazing. One is Louis Vuitton. Okay. I can't afford to buy their products, but I like to look at them. So the flagship store in Piazza San Lorenzo in Lucina, it's huge and gorgeous and amazing. It used to be a movie theater and it was Rome's first movie theater. So when you go in, there's a, and you can do a tour, it's all on the movie theme. So you walk up the stairs that are kind of not just straight up, they kind of curve around and they're open in the, in the back. And if you look at them, you see that they're designed to look like a film strip. Oh, that is so cool. Yeah. So the whole concept in this flagship store is film and film strips. And you see it throughout, but you have to keep your eye out. It's amazing. And then you go up, I think it's like the second floor, and they actually have a little theater. So you go and you sit down and uh, they had like Alberto Sordi movies uh, at one point. There's always some different thing. And they just play over and over and you kind of fall into these super comfy seats and watch these films. So it's got this whole, it's huge, it's beautiful, and it has this really fascinating theme attached to it. Yeah. And, and, and for the people who are not familiar with the name, Alberto Sordi is one of the great Italian actors from the 50s, 60s, and 70s. And he was known for playing parts that really were the common man and really in that people really related to him. He was, he was a wonderful actor and, and, and really, you know, some of his characters, there's a really famous movie. Um, I think it's from the late fifties or early sixties where he plays the, this character who wants to be a TV announcer and he has these really big teeth. Yeah. <laughs> and he's called the Dentone, the big tooth guy. And, and, you know, and he's going against odds. And ultimately, I think he ends up charming people. And, and, and he's also like the character that 
you know, his character sometimes plays like the not so nice side of the Italian personality. And so I love the fact that he's the actor that they chose for this movie theater. You know, that was the, and he was from Rome, uh, from the first movie theater in Rome, because it's really like a deep connection to the past of this building. It, it, it shows to me an understanding of how, as Italians, we still look at history and how it's important for Italians to um, show that there are roots in something, that things don't just sprout out of nothing, but that they're connected to each other. Yeah. Now, the other one, Dino, and it's a newly opened store as of this past June, is the new Apple store on Via del Corso. And I love Apple. I have all my devices and computer Apple, but that is not why I love this store. And I think Apple considers it to be their star store in the world. So it's in an historical building and they've respected all the architectural aspects of it. There are incredible, you know, ceiling frescoes. It's just breathtakingly beautiful. They have marble floors and I mean, every single piece of flooring, you know, fits together beautifully. It's just a, an architectural dreamland in there and something you definitely have to visit. I think it's, if not the biggest Apple store in the world, definitely one of them. And it's exquisite. Now, yesterday I walked by because I was looking at hotel Christmas lights and everything. And they, they're just so darned clever in the, it's all glass fronted and they have these Christmas bulbs, let's say. So it's, imagine a giant half of a reflecting Christmas bulb. They have silver, they have red, they have blue, but they're big. They're really big. And so you walk by, you see the color of the Christmas bulb. It's clearly a Christmas bulb. But what's on the Christmas bulb is the reflection of the buildings across from it. So it sort of brings in the look of Rome on these Christmas bulbs. It, it's just exquisite. And so Apple, or at least Apple in terms of what they are showcasing with this store, it's incredible. So that is, you know, if you're walking around Rome, you wouldn't think, oh, I'm going to visit the Apple store when I'm in Rome. But think again, because it definitely merits a visit. It's amazing. I love the fact that you chose as these two landmark places, two places that are from global brands, but that the way that have that have chosen to position themselves in, in Rome really embraces sort of the local culture. And it really, and, and it, it's interesting because I think that Italy is a, is a country of great architecture and design. And when you're blending a, a worldwide known brand with a specific style and vision and incorporated, it sounds like in a very natural way with Italian style, it must be an amazing experience. It is. 
then um, when you're walking around Rome and Milan and anywhere really, slow down your pace and make sure that you look up. You, you see a cupola almost everywhere you turn. You know, get yourself up on different dimensions. Visit rooftops and look down. You, as you walk along, look up. Look at the street signs because frequently they have lots of information about the street you're walking on. Like I just did an interview with this Italian count, Ettore Farratini Poiani, and he has this family palazzo in Amelia, which is in Umbria. But one of the super cool designer streets in Rome that leads up to the Spanish steps is Via Fratina. And if you look at the sign on that street, it says it's from the Farratini family. So it's originally from his family. And it, those, these street signs tell a little bit of a story and, you know, look it up online and find out, dig deeper into find out more of the story. There's just history and facts all over. That is fabulous. Wendy, it's been great catching up with you again. It's been great to hear. Like, I, I love your perspective on my country. I think it, it, you know, it's always interesting, the outsider who's become an insider perspective. It, it's a very different way to look at the world. I hope that it will inspire our listeners to come and visit it or learn more about certain aspects of it. And a great place to learn is your website, Flavor of Italy, where I, I believe people can also find your cooking classes and all of that there, right? Is that correct? Yes. So Flavor of Italy, F-L-A-V-O-R-O-F-I-T-A-L-Y.com. It's also the name of the podcast, which is on all major platforms. That's also your handle on, on social, right? Yeah, I'm Flavor of Italy everywhere. Yes, indeed. Great. Dino, Merry Christmas. I hope we have a chance to have a, a quick chat to exchange greetings when you actually get back here to Italy. But Merry Christmas and happy holidays to everyone and enjoy whatever you're doing. And above all, be safe, mask up, get your third dose. Whatever you're celebrating this holiday, Make sure that you sneak a little bit of an Italian flavor in it. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> All right, Wendy, thank you very much. Thanks. Thanks, Dino. Ciao. Ciao. Thank you for listening to this episode. If you enjoyed it, make sure that you go back and check some of the older episodes. And if you have one friend or maybe a lot of friends who you think may like the podcast, tell them about it. And if you really, really like the show, talk about it in social media. Every little bit of support helps. Also, make sure that you subscribe to the podcast on your favorite listening platform so you do not miss any of the new episodes that are coming out. And if you are listening on a platform that allows reviews like Podchaser or Apple Podcasts, leave us a good rating and a review. If you like music, stick around because, as usual, at the end of the credits, I will play a song by Susan Catana, one of Boston's best singer-songwriters in the Americana roots music genre. If you want to find Wendy, it is very easy. Go to flavorofitaly.com. Flavor is spelled F-L-A-V-O-R. And there you will find her blog, her podcast, and you can book a trip to Italy with her. 
She's also on every social site like Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram also as Flavor of Italy. If you want to connect with me, I am online at AuthenticLeadershipForEverydayPeople.com but uh, since that's a mouthful to type, you can just type in AL4EP.com with the number 4 and you can also email me at Dino at AL4EP.com On Twitter and Instagram, follow the show at at AL4EDP.com also with the number 4 the episode was produced by me with additional edits by Pro Podcast Solutions. It was recorded remotely using Squadcast.fm. The theme music was composed, produced, and arranged by Nicolas Cattaneo, who also played keyboards and drums, with Tony Savarino on guitar and Jesse Williams on bass. Now, as promised, here is a song by Susan Cattaneo. Those of you who have listened to many episodes of this podcast know that aside from being a great singer-songwriter, Susan is also my wife. Carolyn was a big part of her tradition growing up, so even though we're not particularly religious as a family, the song Oh Holy Night was really a song that she loved singing, and last year she recorded a beautiful arrangement for it for the holidays. So I'm going to close this winter holiday episode sharing with you this beautiful version of A Holy Night by Susan and wishing you a great holiday time, a great 2022 no matter what is the tradition or the beliefs or whatever it is that you follow, as I said, have a great break and a great 2022. Oh,
this was born.